Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. So with everything going on this year, we feel that community is more important than ever. We're so excited to welcome Kat Veos, an author, speaker, and community building expert. This is a live recorded podcast, so if you'd like to see the full event, you can go to manuscriptacademy.com slash cat or click the link in your show notes. We're so happy Kat could join us, and we're sure you'll see why in just a moment. Enjoy. Welcome, Kat. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, Kat! (laughs) So Kat is amazing. Let me tell you a little bit. Kat Veos is on earth to empower people to learn, grow, and thrive. She helps others transform platonic longing, loneliness, and disconnection into meaningful connection and community. She provides UX design consulting and product strategy for companies who are dedicated to creating healthy connection in people's lives and a more just world, facilitation and coaching for individuals and groups that want to experience more authentic connection and healthy interpersonal relationships and teams, keynotes, podcasts, interviews, and workshops about the cultivation of positive relationships and community, healthy teams, and workplace culture, authors' talks based on her book, We Should Get Together. Kat is also the founder and leader of Bay Area Black Designers, which is Silicon Valley's largest unofficial employee resource group for Black design talent. With over 500 members who work at startups, agencies, design studios, universities, mid-sized companies, and large corporations, BABD provides professional development and and community for Black designers, especially those who know what an isolating experience it is to be the only Black designer in their company or design team. Kat is currently giving talks and workshops about how to create meaningful connection both in and out of the workplace, loneliness, belonging, and diversity in tech, and how to employ user experience design to create more empathetic and successful products and services. She's spoken at many places, including Stanford, Social Good Tech Week, University of Washington, Lesbian Sioux Tech, AmeriCorps, and more. Kat, we're so happy that you could be here. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to connect with more wonderful writers and writer community and to share, yeah, anything I can share about my journey, my experiences, kind of what all of this has been to support other people to have a really wonderful experience as writers in community and also just as creative people who are, you know, working on getting their books out there. So happy to be here. Yay. (laughs) All right. Are you ready? We can turn it over to Kat like we're news broadcasters. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, I know that one of the really big themes that we kind of chatted about ahead of time and that's really up for people right now has to do with being in isolation in the pandemic, right? So we're at home. A lot of us are, you know, staying, whether we're in a mandatory shelter in place or not, like it feels really safe to stay away from gatherings and from big groups of folks. And so as well as like just general folks in general, this is something I think about a lot in terms of helping people thrive during this kind of physical isolation that a lot of us are going through. And that was a question that I know came in ahead of time. So I wanted to speak a little bit about that and how I handle that and what I think is really important to keep in mind, um, not just in pandemic, but especially while we're in this very unusual situation. So the very first thing that I want to say, and that I think we really resonate, all of us here together on the panel tonight, is that creative community is so important. 
Um, this is something that's been a huge part of my life and is something that has always carried me through like whether it's like rough spots in life or in creativity or just like helping me thrive and celebrate more. And so with that, one thing that I feel is really important to clarify, uh, at least for me and my perspective, is that the word community can mean like a lot of different things. For some folks, it means they get a picture in their head of what community looks like. And maybe it's like a big group of people, or maybe it's like a conference, or maybe it's like friends who are sitting in your backyard with you. And I think it's really meaningful to first identify what community means to in oneself. To me, it can be as few as just like two people that I'm on the same page with and that I'm like sharing this like mutual enthusiasm, mutual dedication and commitment to each other, um, supporting each other in good times and bad times and whatever that journey may be. Um, and to understand that it's still meaningful community, even if it's really, really tiny, it doesn't have to be giant. And some of the biggest, like most profound and like deep experiences can come when you're in even a really small group that is your community. So don't feel like it has to be like 20 people or 50 people or 100 people to be community to feel that level of support. It's really about the quality of the relationships and um, how everybody is showing up for each other in that group. So I wanted to share that. And something else that relates to this has to do with nurturing existing friendships. So obviously I wouldn't have written two books about friendship if this wasn't something that was really important to me. And it's so vital. Like one of the things that came up a lot in my research for the books and that is really meaningful in my life too, as I figured out kind of got through this like snag with adult friendship was that nurturing existing friendships is really, really key. Sometimes people feel like in order to cultivate friendship or community, that they have to go out and meet a bunch of new people. And that's often not necessarily the case. Like most of us know hundreds of people already. So it might just be uh, getting intentional, thinking about who's there and making an invitation, like really uh, inviting people into a deeper level of engagement and interaction with you. Uh, and then the third final uh, tip that I can give on nurturing community in pandemic isolation has to do with just giving yourself time to create things that are like not for capitalism. So with that, I mean, like, as a creative person, like, let yourself do things that are just for fun. So it's not just about working all the time or producing something that's going to somehow scale or make a bunch of money or anything like that. But really just having a time to play and to have the stakes be really low on certain aspects of creativity, just having like exploration, just having experimentation, just having play and having a sense of impermanence to it, I think is really important to um, taking some of the stress level down and really just getting connected to the core of maybe why we are creative people, which is that we love to create. And there are many, many ways to do that. I love the idea of creating in a way that's not for capitalism. I think that's actually <laughs> a really great way to guide the things that we can do just to make ourselves feel better right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so the other question I know that uh, you had mentioned, you know, wanting to talk about today had to do with feeling less alone in the book authoring process and the publishing process and kind of just hearing some more about that, right? So what that experience was like for me or things uh, that I would recommend to other people. And one of the things that I frequently reflect on is how, you know, I was working on my book off and on over the course of four or five years. And it was something that I, I didn't necessarily know at the start of that process that I was going to be making a book. But by talking to people about what I was doing, um, and certainly as part of my research was doing a lot of qualitative interviews, it helped me feel less alone because I was like talking to people about my creative process and talking about what I was going through. 
Um, and the other thing that was super helpful was that I made sure that I had, again, community with other writers. So I had a feedback circle that I was in. It was like a monthly writers group and we got together. And once a month, there were six of us and two people would share each month, like up to, I think it was like 10 and, and we would read each other's work and provide feedback and provide critique really to help polish and improve each other's work. And it was just such a fun and supportive group to be in. I grew as a writer by seeing other people's writing and, you know, they said that they appreciated mine and it was just like such a love up. It's just such a good thing to be in. So if you're not already in any kind of writing group, particularly when you're working on your book, it's a really good idea because it helps give that momentum and that constant feeling of support. And I would also say it also helps you stay on track because you know that at certain intervals, people are going to be expecting to review some of your work. So if you have a schedule that you're trying to stick to, that also helps a lot with accountability. Uh, Kat, did you put yourself on a specific writing schedule? I did at different times. So earlier on in my process, when I was kind of just like exploring the topic, and I didn't, like like I said, know at the beginning I was going to write a book, I would just kind of write when I felt like it. Um, I have been a writer for many, many years since I was a teenager, and I've done creative writing and essay writing and things like that. And this was something that I was just continually coming back to the same topic. And so probably I would say like about once a month or so, I would like complete like a finished essay on the topic. And then I had to like, you know, life happens. And so there was like a span of time where like I didn't work on it for a while. But once I made up my mind, I was like, oh, I'm writing a book. Okay, cool. And then I worked with a coach and picked a deadline for what I wanted to finish. And at that point when I knew I was like, okay, this is my goal and I have a deadline and I'm, this is what I'm doing, then it got a lot more serious. So I did have a writing schedule that I worked with. For me, that looked like devoting a couple of nights a week from like 10 p.m. till midnight, sometimes one uh, writing. I know a lot of people like to get up at the crack of dawn and like write <laughs> at five in the morning That's or something. That's not for me. <laughs> from like five to seven before they get ready for work. And I'm just like, <laughs> at five in the morning, like my brain is not coffin like that. <laughs> it's asleep. So, but I'm a night owl. And so it was just really, it worked for me to dedicate that time at the end of the day when like nobody's calling or texting or like you don't have any other responsibilities. And it's like the world is quiet. And it's just like, that's when all my creative energy comes. So I would do that a couple nights a week, like Tuesday, Thursday night or Monday, Wednesday. And then on the weekend, I would devote probably five or six hours sometimes more, sometimes less, to like a big chunk on like a Saturday midday or Sunday midday. And of course, like, I think it's really important to like understand that life happens too. Like sometimes if I had a friend in town from like out of the country, I was like, I'm going to see them. I'm not going to like not go see my friend because I have this like really strict writing schedule, but I would just like move it around. I would find time to fit in those hours each week. And I think that's really important. And it really did help me stay on track to like complete those things. And once I started working with my editor and we had these deadlines that we were going to meet together, then, you know, you feel you feel the fire under you. You got to get it done because someone else is waiting on you. And the other thing I wanted to say about that is that, oh, yeah, when I when it came time to pick, like since I decided to do this independently I, and I can speak more about this later, I researched traditional publishing and I researched doing it independently for many reasons, I picked doing it independently. And part of that meant I could pick my own publication date. Mm -hmm. And when I made that, like my coach was like, you have to pick a date. And I was like, it feels so arbitrary. I was like, I could pick any time. And she's like, you have to pick a date. She's like, if you pick a date, you'll get it done by that date. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I picked a date. 
And and I did. And that's when it came out was January, uh, the first week of January 2020. So yay, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're really happy to have that perspective here because we talk a little bit about how self-publishing, of course, is a valuable option. And you know, for people like you, you're you're an entrepreneur, you do so many things, you have a platform, you know how to do this professionally, and that's a great option for you. And so, like I, I think it's really interesting that. I think as long as people get all of those steps in order before they begin, it can absolutely be a really great choice. And I, as an agent, I think people don't hear agents say that enough. So yeah, and it looks like it's going great for you and the books are beautiful and they're amazing. So yeah, you know, I'm so glad you said that, Jessica, because I was about to say the same thing, right? Like if you already have your people and you know you have the numbers and that you know that you are out there speaking and doing things, absolutely, it's a great way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. It was really clear to me that, I mean, I spent so much time in the research on where adults were at in, in the United States and outside the United States too, with regard to the loneliness epidemic and, and friendship and really this like longing in the culture for connection. And I was like, there's no reason why I should like artificially delay this resource that can help people because I want to help people. And so that was super important to me was just to get it out at as high a quality as I could, as quickly as I could. And so that was one of the benefits of doing it independently was I didn't have to get in somebody else's queue for when to publish it. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm loving to see everyone connecting in the comments and talking about a writer's group. We had some ideas about that too, but they're very early. So I'm just happy to see all of you connecting because I think from what I know of you, you'll all get along great. Oh, here's one that is that is just interesting and kind of applicable to a lot of people. How do you balance working at home and sharing office space with your spouse? <laughs> so shout out to all the people who are sharing a home in pandemic quarantine with like either it's multiple kids or a partner or like multiple roommates or whatever. And it's like a lot more togetherness time than maybe you were planning. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's really meaningful to have a conversation about what each person's individual needs are. And for that to really come from a non-judgmental place of being like, you know, it's not that I don't want to spend time with you, but maybe I need some time to myself. And to have that conversation and acknowledge that that is just a basic human need. We need togetherness and we also need time in solitude. And uh, sometimes in the absence of a great deal of space or being able to like leave and do all these other things, just have to get creative with it. You know, one of my friends came up with a really cool idea uh, with her husband where like they agreed that so they have like a little spare room that's sort of like an office and they agreed that like this is a space that's like available to either person to like take over at whenever they need to and if the door is closed the other person should act like they are not home hmm. <laughs> and so when they want alone time like that's just something that they can do is be like I'm gonna go in, in that in there now and then be like okay and then like there's no expectation about whether it's going to be short or long or whatever, but like while they're there, it's like, it's their own space. They can do what they want. And the person who's home, like if they want to cook dinner and eat, they can go ahead and cook dinner and eat. Like they just pretend like the other person isn't there. And it's just this freedom from having to always be on for other people. And it it just sounds really, really smart. Um, And another friend was talking about how they have some agreement in their house where I think it was with roommates. And if they have their headphones on, it just means like, I'm invisible. <laughs> Do not interact with me. Um, and because like they, they share the common space and like if two people are in the living room, it seems like we should interact. But like sometimes it's in the absence of solitude, it's just it can be really draining. And I'm an introvert. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think making norms like this is really important and meaningful. 
Yeah. Also as an introvert, I think that I'm better at connecting if I've had my time just absolutely to myself and no one is like in my bubble at all. 100% agree. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any advice for people who are interested in self-publishing and how to decide if that's a good option? Yeah, I do. It was something that I I didn't necessarily know I was going to do up front. As I mentioned, I didn't even know at the beginning I was going to be writing a book because when I started exploring this topic of connection, it was just like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it, right? So it started with this fascination where I was like, interesting, I'm having this experience, never had this problem before. This is weird. And I was asking other people about it. And so like being open and talking to folks is again, like I always like advocate for that. And taking that thread of fascination and following it into exploration um, and trying out like what are smaller bites of doing something independently and see how that feels. So for example, one of the things that I did early on was I did a portrait series where I interviewed people about their experience of community and I took their portrait and I set it up on my website, on a blog. And it was just like, it was just what I was doing for a while. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm doing this portrait series um, because I love photography and writing and this was a cool blend. And after like a year of that, I was like, well, I want to actually say more than this. And there's more to explore here. So I combined a lot of user research and synthesizing like both academic research and scientific research with like the qualitative research I was doing. Um, So there's a fair amount of like legwork, particularly if somebody is wanting to self-publish nonfiction. And, you know, you're going to do those things yourself. You know, sometimes I I love nonfiction and most of the books I read are nonfiction. And it's funny when I like go through the acknowledgments pages of some of my favorite nonfiction books and I just see how many people help make that book. They're like, I would like to thank this person and that person who were my researchers and this person and that person (laughs) who like were my fact checkers and this person and that person who like did this other thing for me. And I'm just like, wow, okay. Like if you're doing it on your own, you're going to be your own like fact checker and your own like researcher and all these things. But I really love owning a project from end to end as a creative project or whatever it may be. It's something that I've always really valued. And like one anecdote that kind of encapsulates that is when I first graduated from college, uh, I got a graphic design degree and I started working at an independent news magazine. And very early on in that job, I had the, I was responsible for designing the cover and doing the editorial layout for the feature story. And very early on in that experience, I had this like experience where I had done something for the cover for the main story and the publisher, he was like, no, we can't do this, like do something else. And I was kind of pressed for time because we published every single week. So I was laying out an 80 page book every seven days. And I was like pushed to create under strict constraints in that time. But I made this agreement with myself that as long as I was going to be creative for my job, like for my work, that I was always going to have a creative project that I owned, that like I was the director of, that I got to call the shot about what went on the cover or what or how it sounded. And so, yeah, so that's part of, Part of the self-publishing journey is like you are your own creative director. You are your own like final say on the edits that, you know, I worked with a professional editor that I loved and who really helped me a lot. But she also said, she's like, you have final say over any of these like suggestions that I'm making. And that's a really valuable thing to own. I think should be like standing in your full power and being like, I own this project and I'm responsible for all of it. And I get to determine what it looks like in the world. So that's a part of self-publishing <laughs> that I find delightful and not overwhelming. You know, I think some folks, it it helps that I 
again, like I had this job where for the first four years of my career, I laid out an editorial, I laid out a magazine every week. So I knew how to do layout and I'm a designer. So I know how to do typography and I, I'm an illustrator. So I illustrated it myself and I really wanted to own this project cover to cover. And I know that for folks who aren't designers, you will potentially still be making some of those say, like calls, like yes or no stays. Like when you hire a cover designer, they're going to give you a bunch of options and you're going to, you're going to pick, but it's, it's still your project, even if you're filling in your uh, gaps and certain skills with other professionals who help you answer those those parts. Does that make, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, and you, and you still need a community around you. You can't right. 100% do it yourself, though I love the idea of having final say, of course, and having people to advise you so you have all the uh, information while making a final say. But the way you're describing it, I'm thinking about how there seems to be a paradox in that the more it feels like an effort that isn't for capitalism, often the more successful it is on a capitalist level. You know, the more readers the book reaches, the more inspired it feels. Because if you're just like, I will write this sentence that will make this book sell, ha ha ha. You know, that, that rarely works, you know. You have to really make something that's like uniquely you. So, yeah. Yeah. And I really, I was writing my book for the reader who is having a hard time with adult friendship, doesn't quite understand why feels kind of crappy about it, maybe doesn't talk to people about it, but mm-hmm. wants to get better at it and wants tools and is willing to take some steps to improve it. And so that's who I'm writing for. You know, mm-hmm. like I want I want to speak to them and I want them to hear. Yeah. And also just the weird um, dynamic of like, we're seeing each other all the time, but not in person too. So right. like, what do we do with that as, you know, real people who exist on multiple levels? Yeah. And that's why I put out the addendum. So Connected from Afar, I put out as an addendum this spring because there was a lot of material from the first book that I didn't put in because that book focused so much on relationships and friendships that you can have like in real life, face-to-face, like in the same city, in the same spaces. And there was a lot of material that I left out because I was like, well, we could talk about long distance stuff. We could talk about online stuff. There's all these other things we could do, but I really wanted to focus for the first book. Um, And with that, there were a lot of other like really cool ideas that didn't make it into the first one and that were really inspired by the constraints of COVID. And I had folks reaching out and being like, how do I connect with my friends now? And like, what do I do? Like, I can't like hang out with them. And so connected from afar is whether they are across town and you can't see them across the street and you can't see them or across the world and you can't see them. Like these are, this is like a playbook that's six months of weekly connection prompts to do with people that you can like do from a distance. And, and that was really born out of those constraints too. And I think it's really useful uh, as an author, particularly if you're doing the independent route to be nimble and like to understand what people's needs are and to like do your best to like meet their need uh, in the context of what people are. And we have one more question and then we can go back to what you had planned. I'm sorry for all the, all the tangents. We're just, oh, it's not know. tangential at all. I love it. I'm so excited that there's questions. Go for it. Um, yeah, we have a ton of them, but I I really particularly like this one personally. Um, community and close friendships have always been very important to me in my personal life, but I need better ways to connect with other writers online. Twitter is really a struggle for me. I do not feel I can make close connections on social media. Tips? So there's two questions that I think I would come back to this person with, which is the first question is, A, are there people that you may already know or be acquainted with who you want to have deeper connection with? or deeper community with? And what is the opportunity that you have to be more open about that with those people that you maybe feel already like some safer with, some like camaraderie, some like connection. If you have a seed, plant it. Don't just ignore it, right? So if there is this, if there is a source of that growth in your life, 
nurture that. Mm-hmm. My second thing that I would say is even though a lot of our interactions on social media are very cursory and like minimal and like short, like definitely Twitter too. And I'll, and I'll say too, like I use Twitter. I understand like a lot of these conversations that we can to are like one sentence, another sentence, another sentence. Okay, bye. But there's also, those are seeds too. And so a lot of really cool things can grow out of those connections if you're willing to like make an invitation and invite people into a deeper level of engagement with you. So I gave a talk to uh, Design for America in February where I was talking about the power of invitation in my life to transform my experience of community and my experience of friendship and, and all of these things. And often like all, the only thing that's missing among a group of disparate, spread out, separated isolated feeling people is like one person having the courage to make an invitation mm-hmm. and to do that with intention to lay out a vision for like, here's the thing that I would love to see happen and that I would love to experience. And if you want in on that and you want to experience that too, like say, raise your hand, like say, Hey, like make a noise and then invite people into that experience with you. That is honestly the key to how I created Bay Area Black Designers. It started with five people in my living room, and now it's over 500 members. That's how I started Better Than Small Talk. It was like, I have, I want to have better conversations. I am sure that I am not the only one in the world's population of 7 billion people who want to have better conversations. I was like, I'm just going to invite people and facilitate a good, meaningful experience that's like led with some kind of guiding principle you share that with people, they buy into it, and then you do the thing. So, you know, it's so interesting. I, you know, I have to talk about, you're getting me so excited here because I was just thinking about like how I was like, hell yeah, that's right. Uh, because I was so, but for you guys out there, like, I mean, like, I don't know, 12 years ago, I was at an SCBWI conference and I felt like everyone had groups and I was with my friend. But we were sitting there, we're like, why is this so hard, right? Like, why is this so hard to build community in writing? Because it feels like you're an outsider because you're looking in and everyone else has kind of like been there longer or they've already made those steps. And it literally only is, you guys, about like reaching a hand. Cameron and I started a critique group and then we started a writing conference locally here in Maine. And then we started doing them for SCBWI. And that's how I met Jessica. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, it's like, we all feel that like, we're all looking into this world, mm-hmm. but it is, it, it's like, just like putting out that hand and being like, Hey, I'm doing this. You're this cool thing. You're doing this cool thing. Cat's doing this cool thing. And, and like, for the most part, everyone is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? So thank you for reminding us that like, we try to do this here, but it's, it's like the way you said it. It's like these, these relationships do, they do build on each other. Mm-hmm. They do. I love that you shared that story because it's so common. It is such a common experience to have that feeling of being on the outside looking in or assuming that everybody else already has their people. They're all set. There's nobody left. Um, and it's just not true. There are so many people who are just like waiting for an invitation, um, who want to be included on something. And and it, unless somebody has the courage to say like, here's what I'm about. And here's like the three things I'm prioritizing. Do you want to join me? It's like people will raise their hands and say, yes. Like, so just, I'd say have whatever level of bravery you think you have, like put on like your best, like bravery outfit and like <laughs> send that post online and be like, here's what I'm doing. I'm feeling so brave today. Like, here's what I'm doing. Do you want in and make that invitation? Um, oh yeah. I There are people who want 
that invitation. <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of like how they say to smile when you answer the phone, right? With Twitter, I would say, make sure you're feeling good. Cause I feel like people can really tell if I'm feeling good or not. Like, it's like, I, I have no idea how they know. Like, you know, Grammarly will give you that icon of like, you sound formal, you sound sad, you know, like there, there's sometimes right some of the time, but I think people really can pick up on that energy and that voice of how you're doing. And like the times that I've been happy and tweeted really off the wall things like, Hey guys, let's have a bad query contest. Let's see how that goes. Like, Hey guys, let's all like see how we would pitch like pride and prejudice and how it's all different and it's apples to apples like I've suggested all kinds of bizarre things and people have gone <laughs> along with it probably because I'm like yeah let's go guys so like the next time you're feeling like yeah let's go guys you know that's when you should tweet yes exactly wait till you're in a really good mood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. cool so another thing I was gonna chat about um and this maybe this goes along with that was this topic of like tips and things that I learned along the way. Cause I didn't start out this process, like knowing everything that I was going to have to do or knowing everything that was going to be necessary. Um, I learned a lot of it along the way. I read many, many blogs and books and things about how to do this. Right. And with that, there were some things that were really transform transformational for me as a person um, and as a writer and as an author in this process. So, and they're actually like, okay, so I'll just, I'll just dive in. <laughs> So one of them was something that was actually something I was more nervous about. It was like so scary to me, but I was like, well, I have to do it. And that is marketing my own book. <laughs> I did not think of myself as somebody who is a, like a marketer. The word kind of freaked me out. I don't think of myself as like a salesperson, but I knew that like doing it independently and often for many people, even when they go through a traditional like publisher, like they still have to spend a lot of time marketing their own book. And that was something that I was really nervous about. And so I hired a professional who's a digital marketer of books and we did some sessions and she really taught me a lot about, you know, what's involved in that process and how to create a, a successful plan for book marketing. And so that was invaluable to me. It was so useful. And it wasn't just helpful in terms of like the practicalities involved in that and how to do that well. Um, but it gave me more confidence to do it. And it actually made it feel less scary because you're not coming at it from a place of like sales. You're coming at it from a place of like, I'm so excited about this thing. Are you excited about it? Like, here's why you'd be excited about it. And it's kind of like we were talking about before, like making that invitation. It's like if you are sharing something that you really believe in and you're giving that as like a gift to people to like hop in and like enjoy and benefit from, it's not marketing. It's like it's this beautiful process of like giving and receiving. Um, and if people don't want it, they can say no and they like go read a different kind of book. It's fine. So, so that was one really big tip or trick or kind of learning that I took away was that if you change your orientation to the thing that scares you, it will feel a lot less scary. So sometimes it just takes a reframing around like, what is it? What is at the root of this thing that I'm trying to do? And is that something that I feel good about? With that, a big part of that is visibility. So that was the other thing that I was like, whoa, it's going to involve a lot more visibility. And I've done a lot of things in my life that involve being visible. So one of them, for example, after college, I ran a literary community in my college town um, where every other week for four years, I had a poetry reading. Oh. And we, you know, our town had like, you know, open mics for music and, you know, a lot of events that were not for poetry, basically, or not for literary stuff. They had like art walks and music things and food things. And I was like, what about writing? And so I led this poetry reading for four years every other week. And that was about creating community and like sharing and celebrating poetry. But it was also 
this experience of visibility that wasn't my goal, but it just kind of happened. And I didn't realize how much that had happened until one day I was walking down the street and a car drove by and somebody yelled out the window, Poet Speak, which was the name <laughs> of my event. <laughs> like they were a fan of Poet Speak and they recognized me as the host of it. And so they didn't maybe remember my name, but they remembered the name of the event and they like screamed oh that out the window and they were like so excited. And I was like, wow, that was like the most loving, like heckling ever. Like someone <laughs> just screamed my poetry name, like event name out to me on the street. And that was about visibility. And it was like kind of weird, but it was kind of cool. And that was a similar kind of process that I went through with creating my book and sharing it with the world. It was like, people are gonna get to know you for that thing that you create. And you're gonna you know, wanna accept hopefully that visibility that's gonna come with it and to find a way to feel comfortable with that. And with that, that visibility is this risk and it's a really great risk, but it also has a really great reward. And that's something that has been really beautiful about this experience too. Can you share with us, so you come across as being like a very self-confident and, you know, that you could make friends with anybody just because you're open and you're like smiley and have a great vibe about you. But like, tell us what your fear as you go through this, because I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. Is our fears as writers? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, totally. There's so many. I mean, there's in our society in general, we live in a society where it's like people are really judgmental, you know, and like everybody has an opinion about something. And I think as creative people, whether it's writing or art or design, which are all my worlds, you know, there's always this fear of being judged really harshly or people putting you down or being like, oh, your stuff is crappy or whatever. And that fear of judgment, I think, is like natural. You know, it's like a fear of rejection in a way. And we all have it. And I think it's important to, again, like have those allies in your creative community that you can talk about that stuff with or that you can say, like, I'm worried that this part sounds to this. Or I'm worried about that part. And then get that honest feedback. They will hopefully these are people you trust and that you've invited to be brutally honest with you. And like they will help you create the thing as well as you can so you can reduce that risk later. And it might still happen. You know, one of the things that I read when I was, you know, in the process of writing my book, I can't remember which author it was, but they said, your book really has two lives. There's the life where you're creating it and it belongs to you and it's your baby that you're creating. And then it, when you give it to the world, it has this whole other life. And it's based on that book's relationship with other people. And that was really profound for me because it means that there's like a part of letting go. So there's going to be people who like what you create. There's going to be people who don't like it, but that's okay. Like it's its own individual and it, and it needs to stand on its own. Like once it's done, it's done. It's right there in black and white on paper. So there's like a freedom in a way of that. Uh, it's been delightful to get like good reviews from individuals or from professionals who've like read my book and given it a positive review. And like, sometimes they get a review. Someone's like, you know, there was one person on Goodreads one day who was like, I didn't like this book because, it, you know, it seems too hard. And she thinks, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I was just like, okay. <laughs> but I, but I also was like, wow, thanks for the feedback. Because like, she took the time to A, read my book and B, like say what worked for her and didn't work for her. It was like a very well-written review. And I said, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to read it and to share your thoughts. It was like, I want to address some of your questions. So I was like, here's what I recommend. Like, here's what I suggest. Like, here's what I think about that. And like, if you're in a place of being of service to people and of trying to like help them get their needs met, then like that is a really useful piece of feedback. That is a good review because it's helping you understand where people are and how you can serve them more 
and help them get, again, help that get that need met. And so that was really helpful. And we had a great dialogue. And she was like, yeah, I see this and that. I guess I got to try this. And I was like, yeah, I was like, go for it. But like, you know, not everything works out, but it's okay. So think of it that way, not just as like a black and white switch of like, good things happen, bad things happen, but it's like, anything can happen. (laughs) And the way that you respond to those interactions and the way that you respond to the world is like, it's just a conversation that's like continuing to happen, you know? Yeah. One of the things we talked about, we had a submission strategy workshop a couple of weeks ago. I don't even remember what, Julie, what is time? But recently. Uh, it was this month. It was this month. <laughs> this month. Yes. This month this we had month. a submission strategy workshop. And one of the things that I think is so important and so applicable to so many areas of your life is quantify it and chart your feedback. So it's like this person liked the voice. This person didn't like the voice. Okay. Neutral. They cancel each other out. This person liked the technique. This person didn't like the technique. Okay. Cancel each other out. Otherwise you're going to just look at the negative feedback and be like, oh my gosh, everyone hates it. That's the only true thing that's here. And you need to like assign points to it. So you don't just spin out and panic when actually, if you look at it visually, the strong points are, we read it. Great. We understood it. Great. And um, I personally am not ready for it, but maybe other people are. (laughs) Yes. That is so, so wise to quantify it and to, and to calculate it as like, yes, no on this thing and just make it those black and white answers because our emotions get so tied to the negative feedback, like so much more than positive feedback. It We feel it on a deeper level. It's more painful. And it also like comes up in like recurring replayment, you know, on reruns in our head more frequently, but it's so important to balance it out and to, and to make it, as you said, like just very black and white, like what's, what are the numbers? Like 90 people liked it. One person didn't. All right. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because emotionally, you'll be like, ah, oh, 90 people didn't like it. One person liked it. You know, if you don't count it out, that's just how our brains work. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So unless, is there any other questions? Because I have uh, another section I can go to. Oh, go go uh, ahead and I'll look for questions while you, cool. you know, go to the next bit of awesomeness. Yeah. So one question that I get asked pretty frequently is, you know, why did I write about this topic? Or why do I care about friendship? Why do I care about community uh, so strongly? And, and like, what does that mean in terms of like importance in my life? And there's so much I can say about this, Um, as you could already tell from some of the stuff I've shared as a facilitator of different community groups over the years, like I care a lot about connection and community and creativity. Um, Those are the guiding principles of like, I would say 90% of what I do or want to do in life are those three principles. So that's a part of how I live. Secondly, Um, When I dig deeper and I say, you know, why do I care about those things? I have to look at like where in my life did the awareness and value for this thing come about? I was in a storytelling workshop one time and and we were talking about this. It's like, where did your fundamental values get birthed from? And for a lot of people, it's from a painful experience or from the lack of that experience. So for me, like I moved around a lot as a kid, which meant that, you know, I moved countries and I moved states. And that meant that I was always like, not from here. So when people say like, where are you from? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Because it like wherever I was as a kid, like the other kids were like, you're not from here. You're from some other place. Um, Mm -hmm. So there was this lack of like belonging and fitting in that just kind of like imprinted something in with me. You know, I didn't always fit in with my family. I didn't always fit in with the kids. And so this feeling of like wanting that fit and wanting that belonging, like on a complete level was something that became really important to me. And throughout like my teens and and the rest of adulthood, like chosen family and friendship were just like 
so rich and real and so good. Um, so like that value of belonging and that value of connection and community. And it was birthed out of this experience as like a little kid being like, what is going on? Like these people are like, they're saying I'm not from here and I don't belong. And so it's like this really amazing experience of like transforming your greatest, whoever your greatest wound is your greatest gift or something. And like, those are, that's part of what's been true for me. And that's why I care so much about friendship and community. And that's why I wrote this book. And that's why I do all these gatherings and events, even if they had to be virtual right now, because those are the things that really matter to me. And that I think are really basic needs that every human being has. And we don't get taught how to meet those needs as adults. Mm-hmm. So um, until schools get wise and start teaching people like how to have a healthy relationship or how to have healthy friendships, um, along with many other things that ought to be taught in schools. Yes. Um, <laughs> this yeah, is it used something. to be taught in school. I taught that curriculum like way you back did? in the 90s. And then like, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. I know it is. Yeah. I certainly yeah. hope so because it is such an important life skill. And when people don't get it, they suffer. You know, a lot of people suffer very quietly with it or they downplay it um, or they don't want to talk about it or they blame themselves. And it's just like, no, like it is not you. Like this is so real and you deserve to have this. And um, it just takes learning at wherever you are in your process to cultivate those skills so that you have really healthy connection rather than just expecting it to happen magically. Like maybe it did on the playground in adulthood. You got to put in a little bit more effort usually. (laughs) So that's one thing I really wanted to share. Um, I'm curious to hear what what you guys think about that or kind of like where have, what's like the core genesis of like the things that you value or why you're a creative person or why you uh, care about the topics that you focus on. I can't wait to see what people say in the chat about this. In the meantime, I'm loving all of the love for uh, LaTanya, who everyone is like, you're amazing. You're the reason I'm a writer. Keep writing. So we love to see that. Everyone needs that. Um, Being a writer is very difficult emotionally, and we love that you're supporting each other. And also just on a broader level, on a broader level, being a human is very difficult, and we all need the support emotionally. So I wish it was something that wasn't a brave thing to ask for. You know what I mean? And I wish it wasn't something that, um, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a social media thing or a, you know, don't compare yourself to other people's Facebook selves thing. Yes. But in the past few years, probably around when Twitter became a big thing, I got out in public and I wonder if everyone expects me to be as edited as everyone is online. And that just makes everyone mm-hmm. sad, you know, because there's that like, oh, I want to say this thing. Oh, I don't know if that's going to be good on the record. Well, okay. And then the moment's gone. Mm-hmm. There's so much pressure to be like perfect um, online and also like offline. It's really, it's, it's kind of stressful and like not good because we are human and we edit ourselves in a conversation right now. Like I've edited my, I've started how many sentences and stopped and then like restarted and like I'm editing it right now as I'm talking to you. And this is what it means to be a human who is thinking and living in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just how it needs to be. And so like releasing ourselves from like the perfection that the edited versions of what's online uh, presents is so important. I have a whole section in my book that talks about like the the interruption of human connection that can happen when we only think that like each other person is whatever they show online. You know, I had a colleague who posted a picture from her vacation. And so when she ran into somebody at the grocery store, they're like, oh, we saw you went on vacation at that place. It looks great. You must be doing great. Bye. And like no curiosity about like, what's the rest of the story there? And like, what were the things that were challenging about that or bizarre or funny or whatever? It's, we're, we're more than just a picture. We're more than just a tweet. And I think 
maintaining that curiosity about each other and inviting other people to like get curious with us is a really big part of how we move beyond those limitations of only being this like perfect edited self. Yeah. And I think that in any situation, there are many layers of subtext or things that are happening that you don't see. I mean, for example, tonight, I, I Julie, I hope this is okay, but I Julie got bit by a spider and I was very frightened for her tonight and she's okay. She's here, but like you had no idea. Right. But like all the time, time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time, there are layers of things that are happening that you have no idea and they're fascinating. And I also think that people kind of take it also personally for their ego, right? Like so much of what happens to us on this planet, we can't control. And yet we're all like, Oh, got to put on this front is if I have all this control. You don't. If you could just be like, oh, this thing happened to me because I'm a person on this planet and this planet's weird. Like that would be so much better, I think. But it's really hard to get there with all of the images of what we're supposed to be. Yes, very much. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I- it's, I, you guys, I think it's interesting though, like that we say that, we, you know, that we edit ourselves online. And I think it's probably a good thing at, at this point that a lot of us are thinking before we speak, because there's a lot of speech right now that isn't necessarily, you know, <laughs> easy to read online and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm noticing on the, when, when people come here to this community, people seem to let their guards down and have, communi- you know, and talk. And one of the things you can do, and I think what Kat is saying is like, be brave, put yourself out there, be original and be your own self. But like, I know you guys, my writing group right is meeting right now and they just pour a cocktail and they're not writing. They're just talking, (laughs) (laughs) but, but you know what I mean? Like you can literally find Mm -hmm. groups of people in COVID that you can be like, okay, let's have rejection group. Okay, mm. we're all going to go on a Zoom. We're all going to share rejections, talk about it. Or we're all going to go read poetry tonight. Like like when you were talking about being scared cat, I was thinking um, I did a bunch of moth style stories yeah. at one point. And it was scary. It was scary. I, I talked about, I have a story about nudity, everyone. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't like getting naked outside. And so I have this ridiculous story about when I had to get naked outside. and and But like when you do those things, it's ridiculous. And you're like, okay, I'm putting myself out there with this ridiculous story, but like you are just gaining just like your chops when it comes to being brave and not caring that about the fact you're talking about nudity outside to 300 people. You know what I mean? So I think the core of what you're saying here is like, we can all do this. Like yes. you get your book, build your community, build what you want to see in the world. Right. And, and like, just put your foot out there and just do it. Yeah. yeah. Julie, yeah. I'm picturing us having an event where everyone reads their rejections and we just you uh, know, throw stuff and light stuff on fire and, and you know, we, over Zoom, don't can, hurt your computer. And we can do it with, with voices. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure this out, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I saw there was a question in the chat where someone talked about like dealing with rejection or how do you handle it after getting a bad one? And like something like you just described, Julie, is a perfect example for that. It's like if you have created a safe space with people where it's like, now we're going to talk about our rejections. It's like everyone's experienced a rejection in their life. Like, talk about that and take away some of the like boxes around everything having to be positive and perfect all the time. It's like, you can talk about the stuff that didn't go well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Everyone's talking about the naked rejection club. <laughs> <laughs> Before that, we will read our rejections and light things on fire and not hurt. Our I'll tell you all my yes. naked stories someday. It's a goodie. Anyway, Kat, sorry, we've interrupted so many times. <laughs> That's all right. It's okay. I want to answer one of the questions that I see here uh, that got a bunch of votes 
from Sarah and it says, how do you find a group of writers where everyone is at a similar skill level? So one thing I should mention is like with the writing circle that I was in, um, there was like a little bit of a like (laughs) pre-check to do ahead of time. So um, the folks who were in the group, you know, maybe knew other people who wanted to be a part of a writing circle and like had either read some of their writing already or that person would like submit a sample and then like we would all read it and get a sense of what their writing style was like and what their topics, uh, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, et cetera. And so it's like important to do that so that you get paired with people that are relevant for you. And it's okay, you know, Priya Parker in her book, The Art of Gathering talks about, you gotta have some rules on a gathering. It can't just be like a free for all and like there's no structure and there's no rules and there's no expectations. And it's okay to be really intentional about who is in the group and like how big the group is. You know, our group was a max of six people so that Mm -hmm. everybody would get a turn at feedback quick enough. And we had conversations of like, is that too many? You know, what do we do? And so um, it's important to have, you know, clarity around what the expectations are, what your goal is, and to also write a really clear, like if you're doing an invitation to create a writing circle, when you write it, be like, this group is for you. If you are colon, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, you know what I mean? And like describe who's like a really good fit for your group and say like, this group is not for you if X, Y, Z. You know, I teach authoring classes for designers who want to publish their first nonfiction book. And I say very clearly, if you want to join this group, like this is what we're about. This is who who it's for. And this is kind of what you will probably be uh, working on for your book if it's nonfiction. And I say, this is not for you. If like, you're hoping to come here and talk about like character development or dialogue, like this group is not for you. If you want to like traditionally publish, this group is not for you. If like, you have no idea about design or UX research. So like, it's very clear. And with that, like people should be able to look at what you're offering and say, yes, that is for me, or actually, no, that's not for me. And that's okay. So be intentional, be really clear about it. And make your invitation, again, like with that level of clarity so that when the people show up, I get folks in my authoring class or the mastermind circle that I run, and they are like such a good fit. It's not just a fit so that I can help them the best, but they help each other the best because we're all in the room for the same thing and we're coming with the same purpose and the same context as well. Mm -hmm. And being polarizing often will help you sort uh, who was really for you. (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay. Right. Yeah, and I also also you know you and I've been in numerous groups, so you grow and you grow with a group. Sometimes you get to a point where the workload's too much for a group, you just morph to another group. I mean, it it can be fluid. It's not like you join people and that's it. You're in the club forever. You know that that like it does, and, and often you mature as a writer with the group that you're in. You know, yeah. like my main group right now. Like I've I've known them for a long time. We we know each other intimately it's a very high level of critique, but like, I wouldn't have been ready for that group 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We change, we evolve. And if we're honest with ourselves about how those needs that we have change and evolve with us and honest with the relationships that we're maintaining about like how, how much does this fit, then we'll just be like better to ourselves and better to each other. <laughs> cool. I can take a look at some of the questions. Yeah, let's hit some questions. All right. Someone said, I'm afraid of starting a group and having no one show up. Oh, that's a, But that's okay. That, you know what? You just keep putting it out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the internet is a weird place. If you're doing it online, uh, you know, I started one at the library that's still going strong. And I haven't been there for, for years, but they're just going. Yeah. The other thing I would say to that person is 
If you offer a writing group and nobody shows up, you will be exactly where you are right now, which is a person without a writing group. Like, <laughs> yes. Like whatever's happening right now is like, okay, it's reality. And it's going to be the same, like even in that situation. So like the maximum losses, you're right back where you started. And like whatever you're working with now is like hopefully working at some level. And like just keep making the invitation. Or maybe you need to be more specific in the invitation or how you're forwarding it or or who you're asking to amplify it as well. There's nothing wrong with asking for amplification to tell, you know, maybe five people in your community who might know other people who might be a fit for your group to say like, hey, I'm creating a writing circle. Can you retweet this? Or can you like post this on your LinkedIn? Here's a blurb that I've already written. <laughs> people will do it more likely if you, if you have it already written for them. It says, my friend so-and-so is doing X, Y, Z. If you want to be a part, like go to this link or email them and people can just copy and paste that, like make it really easy. Yeah, that's how they do book marketing too. They call it the big mouth letter. And as an intern, it was my job to like Xerox a whole bunch of them and like fold it around the book and like mail it and put it in the address and send it to everybody. So they didn't have to think at all. The, you know, the, the less mental effort everyone needs to like be able to amplify things for you, the better. Totally. Yes. So this question's here a couple of times. You mentioned having a book coach. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk about that process, how you found the right book coach for you and how that, how that was different than your writing community that you fostered? Right. So it wasn't a book coach specifically. The woman I worked with was a coach who helps women who have a creative project outside of their work. So again, oh, this cool. is where it gets really good to like niche yourself and be specific. So like I said, with your writing circle, like be specific, like there are tons of women who have already a day job and are doing something creative on the side that they want to make something bigger out of. And that's the work that she does. It's around empowerment, it's around creativity, it's around leadership, it's around all of these things that come into standing more in your power. Um, and that does translate to the work environment too, right? If you get like greater sense of confidence and agency and all of those things. But she also helps people really see the full possibility for what they can create out of their creative work. And many of her clients like myself, you know, go on to do this full time. So, so that was an example uh, of the coach. It wasn't like a book coach. I know there are other people who do that. I have not worked with a book coach. Um, although my editor, uh, Katie Salisbury, who was amazing, often like provided like really great coaching for me when I was like, I'm worried about this part or I'm worried about this thing. And she, she does this like all day, every day. Like she is a pro and like, that is such a valuable thing. It's like, you get this coaching, not only from the writing community, from your peers, from your, from your editor, from any other pros you might be working with from, you know, my beta, my beta readers were also people who provided really valuable insight for me around like how it was landing or what parts were missing, you know, and, and where they felt it was meeting or not meeting its promise. And so that really helped me like refine and refine and refine and get to this thing that felt like a perfect, well, it's not perfect, you know, not perfect, but it was like the, it was delivering on the promise that it uh, said it would. So that's important to do. And there's not just like a coach, like one kind of coach that helps you do that. There are many different kinds of people who can help you answer that question. Cheryl says, my high school English teacher became an author and started a writing group. One person showed up and they are now married. You never know what might happen when putting yourself out there. <laughs> that is great. I love that. So fun. I feel you like we know what might happen. It's true. Like one of the community groups that I run is for black designers and two people in the group have been like in love and like they live together oh. and like maybe we're going to get married one day. I don't know. We might have a baby in our community. And like, I've been a part of other creative communities before where people have fallen in love or they like find their partner. And like, that's a really special side effect. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's really nice. Um, I feel like we had we went on so many tangents. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? Because I know we're a little bit low on time and you have so many ideas and, you know. <laughs> no, I feel like I got, yeah, I got to touch on all the things that I want. I mean, I would love to go through if there's other questions in the chat that have come in. Yeah. Um, I'd also love to throw a few like better than small talk questions out to the Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, Can we do this first? Though? Cause I feel like this comes up a lot. Yeah. And we're t- so when you talk about community, I think it's really easy to make it sound like it's easy or it's always fun, <laughs> you know, to have these groups. So sometimes it's just not. So what happens when you're in a group where someone's feedback is negative or they're making you feel bad? Does it go back to those ground rules or do you have some other tips around how to deal with negativity and critique? Well, I think there should always be a set of community agreements around like respect, like treating people with respect. And there's ways to give feedback around how something can be improved without insulting a person or completely trashing all of their like motivation. And so that's just about like the basic framework of like what a really healthy critique looks like. And uh, as not just a writer, but also a designer and artist, like this is being a part of critique groups is something I've been doing since I was a teenager and going to college and like being in art critiques and things like that. And so it's really important if the group does not have any kind of ground rules around like community norms or like examples of what healthy critique looks like, I would say you need to take a step back and establish that. That said, sometimes you're going to get feedback that's going to be harsh and that's okay because the ultimate intention of that feedback should never be to shut somebody down, to like crush them, to insult them or anything like that. It should be to make the work better. And sometimes people accidentally do the first thing because they haven't learned how to do the second thing. And so having examples of like, here's ways to phrase certain kinds of feedback so that it's clearer that it's about improving the work not about trashing the person who created it. So one example of that, that is like from a design critique, for example, that I might do when I'm like working with other designers is, since my focus as a user experience designer is around making sure that whatever is happening is gonna be as clear and accessible and usable for the person as possible. If I think something isn't working, I'm not gonna be like, this is like, this is bad. This needs to change, it's trash. Like nobody, nobody's doing that. What you say is like, I'm concerned that people might struggle with this part because X, Y, Z. And a couple of ways I think you might avoid that problem is ABC. Um, So it's like mixing the reason for that critique with the goal of what the project is trying to accomplish for people and then offering some solutions or suggestions as well. Whether the person takes them or not, is neither here nor there, but it's like coming from a place of wanting to help solve a problem rather than just being like, that's not good. That's mm-hmm. if, if somebody's doing that in a writing critique, like they either need to be talked to um, or the facilitators of the group need to talk about group norms again um, and do some more like healthy modeling around what healthy critique looks like. And then, or if somebody's like really just being a jerk, like maybe they're not fit for the group. But there's a difference between like somebody being a jerk and finding out that the thing you were trying to create isn't actually like doing the thing that you intended it to do. And it's good to get more than one person's opinion. Hopefully you're getting feedback from multiple different sources and you can compare how how that feedback goes across different different people, different folks. So yeah, maybe a rule like if you're going to say a criticism, like I think you can work on X, it could be that it has to come with a suggestion, like maybe fix it with Y. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Not that it's easy to find why. I find that uh, difficult in my day-to-day life as well. And there are many moments when I'm not sure how to fix something. But I think that if you pair it like that, it makes it something that it's a work issue or a time issue versus a there's something inherently wrong with you issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, we should all come at it with a, with a growth mindset. Totally. Yeah. And I think sometimes the, the critique... I had I had a critique partner. He called me up the next day and said he hated me. Mm. And then he and then we were, we were kind of screaming at each other across the room at one point because we were like we knew each other too well. But he called me afterwards and he was like, "You know, you're right." And I was like, "Oh, I know, I was right." <laughs> well, yes, yeah, there's like, a stronger emotional reaction sometimes. Right. <laughs> so, but, but sometimes yeah, you do have that emotional reaction. You go home, you think about it, and if you build trust within your group, you can't have a situation where you're just like. Oh, you know, everyone's throwing gloves down and fighting about a line and that can happen and that can be incredibly rewarding. And so I think there's polite and there's honesty. I think there's trust. So if you have trust within your group, you can get away with a lot of things because you have that trust, but it is about building the community with the rules. And then you get to the place of trust. It's kind of like a marriage. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, you know, and talk about being yourself, you guys. Okay, I've gone through the nudity. And I should have edited that one. You guys, I had a baby outside. It was, I didn't just get naked. <laughs> I, it was a mistake. I'll tell that story sometime. But, but you know what, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like you put yourself out there, you build trust, and then you do that. And then you edit yourself, which I'm doing right now. So, sorry. People. And the more you trust each other, the more you can say with bluntness and people will know um, that you mean it in a good way way. Um, also, there there was a question of, um, do you fix it with why or wine? I said, why? But sure, not a post wine. Get yourself some <laughs> antioxidants. Go for it. <laughs> Kat, what's your number one tip for writers? I know that's putting you on the spot a little bit. but um, Number one tip for writers is number one... <sighs> Superlatives are really hard. Like when someone's well, like, you, you can use cream, any number like, you like. <laughs> there's so many tips. And it's hard to say like there's just one, mm-hmm. but I'll say my number one tip for writers in relation to producing a book, right? Since that's the topic we're on right now. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in my class too, is like before you go into all of the millions of steps and decisions you're going to have to make in the course of writing your book, one of the most important to make is very early on. And you're probably going to revisit that decision multiple times, but that's going to be the answer to what does success mean to you? Hmm. Because the world is going to give you a lot of examples of what other people's success look like. And if you compare yourself to other people, you can get knocked off your center. Hmm. And so it's really important to know what success looks like to you. And as a writer, there's no one answer for what success really means. So there's a, an author that I follow on Twitter who I really enjoy. I think her name is Elle Witherspoon. Um, and she posted a tweet asking the writing community, you know, what does success mean to you? And among all the many, many things that were there, there were so many different answers. Anything from like, somebody was like, I want my, as long as like readers tell me they love my book, I'm happy with that. Or like, if someone's like, my book is good enough that there's fanfic made about it. Somebody else was like, I want to walk in a bookstore and see my book on the shelf. Somebody Mm -hmm. else was like, I want to be on the New York Times bestseller list. Someone else was like, I just want to feel satisfied. I want the personal satisfaction of creating it. Somebody else was like, I, as long as my book is meeting people's needs, like for what I've created it for, then that's a success to me. There was another example, not from that tweet thread, but um, someone in my 
writing uh, circle that I run right now was saying that she was reading a book about racism. And in the foreword, the author said, like, I will consider my book a success if this book helps more people have helped more honest and healthy conversations about race more frequently. And that was her yeah. number one success metric. It wasn't numbers or money or any of these things that the capitalist world will say is the only measure of a book success. Right. And so answering that question for yourself is like my number one tip, honestly, for people, because if you stay true to that definition of success for you, then again, like you can make sure that you are serving people and meeting that need and serving that vision despite all the distraction of the outside world that says like success only looks like one thing. Right. So for me, I wanted to create a book that helped more adults have more healthy friendship more frequently. That is my success oh. metric. And so I put in again, like all the work of researching and creating and, and uh, designing experiences that will help people do that and giving them the tools and guidance to do that. So all I care about is, is my book helping people have healthier, better friendships more frequently and with greater levels of success and fulfillment in their own life? That's my metric. Mm -hmm. And so when my people read my book, whether they're here in California or in France, like somebody emailed me <laughs> one day from like, she's like, I live in the Alps and I'm reading your book. Like, yeah. I want to know, how's it working for you? You know, and so this is, this is what I care about. This is what I care about are my readers, are the people who get it. And so, of course, I want as many people to read it as possible. But that's only because I want them to have the best friendships as possible. So you get it? Like the success metric is about that, not because uh, vanity number is like exciting. Of course, it's exciting when I see like lots of people buying it. But that's not the point. You get it? The point is serving people and helping them have a better life. Oh, that's so important. And I think it's something that everyone really needs to think about because the one definition of success, and I'm making air quotes here, is not real for everybody. It's real for a few people. And it's not even something that resonates with a lot of people. I think emotionally, you want to also think about how do you want to feel when this happens? And there's so many ways to get to that feeling. Yeah, so. totally. I know. I, that was like such a perfect spot to end. I was like, oh. But not yet. I know. <laughs> we have presents. <laughs> yes. We do have presents. So. Yeah. We, is there anything yeah. we didn't cover that you'd like to cover? Yeah. I would say if anybody wants to be in touch with me, they can, I can say my Twitter and stuff like that in the chat in case anybody wants to like follow what I'm up to, join my events and gatherings, or I don't know. You can say it so it's in the podcast version oh. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at Kat Velos, K-A-T-V-E-L-L-O-S. Um, on Instagram, I'm Kat Velos underscore author. And I post a lot on there about friendship and healthy connection and community. And if they go to weshouldgettogether.com, that's where I have all my book stuff and events and gatherings people can join um, if they want to work with me regarding like any other stuff. So they want me to come talk to their company about workplace loneliness or talk about why connection matters there. They can go to my personal website, which is just catfellows.com uh, to learn more about my work, work, work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but otherwise, all, all friendship and community stuff is at weshouldgettogether.com. So yeah, reach out. I'm here. I'm friendly. I like talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> and you have something called, is, is it called a Zoom out? I believe I tried to pop into one of them and I was so thrilled that it wasn't a Zoom, another Zoom meeting. I thought um, that was so special. That was a collaboration that I did with a buddy of mine in New York. Uh, we did a couple of them. It was an audio only gathering because uh, we both are really, really tired of being on video conference all the time. Mm -hmm. And as experienced designers as well know that there are other ways to connect. I'm also an avid fan of phone calls. And I have posted yes. about this many times on my Instagram being like, people, if you are tired of being tethered to your computer all day long for work, I get it. 
just call your friends on the phone, go to laundry, <laughs> make your dinner, take a yeah. walk, like give yourself a break. Um, Cause even before pandemic, I was like very, and I talk about this in my book, it's like a digital detox is a healthy thing. And I actually feel like we're on the internet far too much. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm a big fan of having events that push that. One of the things I'm doing is a connection club that's like, oh, cool. It is going to be on Zoom just because I'm DJing it and there's going to be some music and some fun stuff. But it's really about creating many, many, uh, hopefully analog pieces of connection for people to send to their friends snail mail or postcards or make art for them. Get off your screen and like make stuff and give it to the people you care about or write them things and give it to the people that you care about. And so um, I'm a big proponent of that as well. Oh, that's so nice. I have this fantasy of an analog apartment, but I know it's completely impossible. You know, like throw your phone in a time release safe and like only have one with a cute curly cord. But yeah, um, until we get there, I appreciate that even a UX designer is saying maybe step away from the internet for a moment. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I also really want that curly cord phone back too. I like them. I miss just messing with it while I'm on the phone, you know? I'm sure everyone remembers those as well. We don't need the kind that's rotary. We just, you know, just the just the buttons that light up and make the nice sounds and then you can mess with the ringlet of cord. That's lovely. Oh my gosh. You guys, I have an old fashioned, like, like almost like phone booth in my house. Like it's like a... <laughs> you have everything, Julie. <laughs> No, no, because it's an old house. So you had actually had to like stand in the dining room next to the <laughs> house. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So thank you. So I, I am like immediately, I, you're going to see me again, Kat. It's just going to happen. You're going to be like, oh gosh, there she is again. For all of you guys out there, Jessica and I were talking and we want to have a surprise tonight. Yes, we do. Um, we like you. You know, we want to be a point of happiness here. So Jessica, do you have your randomizer? We're going to give away. Do you want to tell them what we're going to give away? Yes. Okay. So we know everything is hard in quarantine and we want to give a bit of community to three of you. So we are giving some memberships to three of you. This allows you access to 30 hours of our recorded and edited classes, uh, early booking in the system so that you can meet with agents and editors, and also all of the live events like this included with your membership. So I've put all of you into the randomizer, random.org, and the first person is Ella. So each of you has a unique name. So I'm going to screenshot this so I can keep that. And then the next winner, again, is Katrina. Congratulations, Ella (laughs) Katrina. And the third winner is Kathy. So we will be in touch with all of you with a coupon for a month of membership. We can't wait to have you join our community and see our classes. And hopefully this provides an experience of what you'd normally get at a conference, but from home and with really nice, lovely people um, who can give you brilliant, insightful feedback on the spot. So we can't wait to um, to so Yeah, and Jessica also has builds her fabulous goodie bags are going out to everyone via email which has replay it has our podcast it has all we're up to almost 100 episodes julie we're gonna have to have like a party for the 100 episodes i I saw that (laughs) um and also you guys have been asking about picture books and we have a picture book event fiona kenshaw not just picture books picture books early readers chapter books and middle grade middle grade yeah so that's going to be our first kind of focused um genre one that we're trying out and we have cameron rosenblum's books coming out she's going to make a write-in for us Yeah, that's all about narrative structure and emotional impact because the two are actually totally related. 
Yeah, her like book it. is so good. And and just how she deals with tension, you guys are going to freak out. It's gonna, you're going to love it. And then we have other good things coming along. So yes, we have query panels, yeah. first page panels, lots of nice agents here to help you just have that little bit of feedback that can perhaps can make the difference in your work. And that is what we're here for. Those human connections, like with Kat, as you can feel from tonight, it makes Yay. a huge difference. So yeah, Kat, thank you so much. Thank I'm so you. happy this worked out. And like you said, sometimes the invitation turns into something wonderful. And I'm just so happy that you could join us. So thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I love what you're doing. I love all the positivity in this community. And I'm wishing everybody the best, much creativity and community. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.